Welcome to the Strategy Mom Podcast. Tune in for everything you need to know to stay in the know regarding the automotive industry. Here's your host, Jason Harris. Hey, 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 what's going on, Podcast Nation? It is Jason Harris here, and thank you for joining me another episode of Strategy Mob. Today, I have a, a very cool guest. I'm excited to talk to him because I've been reading a couple of his articles and we connected online recently. And he's just got, I think, some fun stuff to say. So we're, we're going to have a good time today. I have the, the oh-so-famous Mr. David Allen Wood in the house today. David, what's going on? Um, nothing much, sir. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm, do- I'm doing good, man. Um, I try to be energetic with these intros. I don't know. Sometimes it comes <laughs> off like a little, little weird, but I'm just like, I, I feel like that's what people have to do when they do like podcast intros. They're like, yeah, let's bring the energy. I don't know why I do that. It's just, I guess it's fun. Um, <laughs> hey, David, for um, everybody out there that's watching and listening right now, um, and it's going to enjoy this amazing podcast that we're going to put together here. You know, I figure what we do is to kick it off today is start off with a little origin story. So, you know, what is the origin story that is David Allen Wood? Well, it's a, it's kind of a, I guess you could say not your average, uh, trail into the car business, but I was born into it. Uh, my father was a dealer and, uh, he started in, I guess, the mid late seventies selling cars. And, uh, by the time I was born, he was a fleet salesman for, and selling cars to rental places. And then he ended up buying his own store, uh, to do hard work and everything. But either way, I was always around the store and, uh, started working for him, uh, probably before it was actually legal to be working, uh, probably some lawsuits. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, usually how it is, be right? Against <laughs> but, uh, Hey, I, I was not the kid with the silver spoon. Uh, most people know the dealer's kids is the privileged, and I was not privileged. Uh, but, you know, I, I look back at it, and it was fun. But uh, I worked for him, and he sold in 2004, right after the uh, 9-11 deal, and we got through that pretty good. Uh, I guess it was a small dealer, you know, 60, 70 employees. Mm-hmm. Uh, after he sold, I worked for the people who bought it from him for a little bit and finally decided to get off into the because we were, we're just northeast of the Dallas uh, DFW Metroplex area, about I guess, 40 miles, 50 miles. Mm-hmm. So I went off into the, the DFW area to do my own thing. I'd already, I'd already worked around inside of a dealership, variable fix. I've, but I kind of stayed in the fixed side. It's something I've always enjoyed is fixed operations. And, of course, I've, you know, questions of how, why I like it. People are like, you know. You know, <laughs> big money's all in finance, you know, and blah, 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 and being this and doing that. It's like, man, it was always to me the challenge, you know, the people coming in wanting to buy a car, yeah, they're no, wanting you. to buy that car, but people coming in wanting are not wanting to fix a broke car. So <laughs> yeah. it was just, you know, it was the challenge of, the, you know, overcoming objectives. It was, to me, it was a lot more, you know, relationship building, I guess you can say. And that's really what I've enjoyed about the business. But I, I did this uh, pretty much uh, all through the you know late '90s, mid started in the early '90s, all the way to, to the 2000s, and then up to about a couple of years ago. And I've uh, been doing consulting, uh, worked for a couple of consulting companies, uh, did contract work for a couple of the manufacturers. Uh, tip didn't really, you know, I liked it. I enjoyed it. I just really enjoyed more along the lines of mentoring and helping 
helping others, you know, managers, directors, dealers, you know, just kind of scope out of, you know, where, what's going on in the industry. And, you know, everybody talks about change. Everybody talks about evolution. And I just, you know, it, I really had a niche for talking to people because everything I did when I was in a dealership was, it just, mm-hmm. it, it, it brought, drew a lot of attention to like area dealers all the way up to the manufacturing levels of, you know, this guy, you know, this guy. And it really, at the end of, at the, end of the day, it wasn't this guy. It was me building great teams to do great things. And, and, you know, I had a few dealers that really allowed me, you know, they took the reins off the pony and let me run. They didn't sit there and, you know, put the bridle in too hard and, you know, drive me into staying in one lane, which, you know, sometimes can be dangerous. You let somebody yeah. out of the lane too much. Next thing you know, you're coming having to talk about expenses. But, uh, <laughs> you got to no, love I mean, those conversations. I mean, that's pretty much it. I mean, I, I, uh, I enjoyed the car business. It's always been a passion of mine. Uh, still to this day, you know, a lot of my, my clients that I do have are automotive related. I've been stepping outside of that, helping everybody because, you know, anything you do, anything in the car business, you really think about it can correlate or run parallel to any other business. Oh, you know, 100%. Unless you're like, you know, building, you know, satellites going into space or something. But it's it's one way or another you're servicing them. It's just a different deal. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, think about it. I mean, every you have the different departments. I mean, those are four or five different businesses being run in a dealership simultaneously. Mm -hmm. Um, Team development, uh, customer service, after sales, before sales. I mean, literally every lesson that you learn. And I'm I'm the same way. I mean, I just this industry has just gifted me with so many opportunities to learn so much. And so many of the lessons I've learned, uh, you know reach way outside of our automotive industry and is and is totally relevant to so many other places you know you, you touch on something earlier about team and um you know i've been having a lot of conversations lately about technology right because you know in our business it's just such a hot topic right tech tech data data which don't get me wrong is a it needs the conversation has to be there and it is super important but i just find like sometimes we almost we get to the point where we, we talk so much about the technology, we talk so much about the strategy, we, we, we actually forget that, that it's the team that really ultimately ends up executing all of this. Mm-hmm. And you know what, I, I, I've, I've had the privilege of working for some, some really great dealerships and, and, and a privilege of owning a great dealership, but I've also had the privilege of working at some really bad dealerships. <laughs> and, and I've got to see, oh, yeah, you too, right? <laughs> Dave, you've seen that too. Uh, oh, yeah. I, I've seen the extreme. I've seen the extreme both sides, right? The really good and the really and the really bad. And I've learned oh, yeah. equally, I think, from both. Uh, but I, I've seen all the dealerships I've had the opportunity to really kind of work with. And I, I've been able to consult and work and sit down and talk and strategize with hundreds and hundreds of dealerships over my career. The, the one thing that I find that's consistent in some of the most successful dealerships I work with is their team. But the glue that holds their team is really the mindset. And I feel like this is so such a great time for us to kind of talk about this because we were jamming about this a little bit before we jumped on and started recording mm-hmm. is, you know, we're going into the fourth quarter of the year. <laughs> Winter's coming. No pun off of a Game of Thrones or anything, <laughs> but you know. But to top it off, not only winter's coming, but it's winter coming in in the middle of a pandemic, and you know, it's like it's one thing to talk about consumer confidence. It's like how do we keep our team consistently motivated? And you got some great thoughts on this. So you know, what are what are some of the pointers or you know advice you could give to people out there that to keep that team motivated through you know through this time and this next quarter? I think a lot of I think a 
majority of motivation is how the leader responds to what's going on around them. Uh, if somebody's buying into everything that's going on in right now, especially right now in the States, mm-hmm. uh, with everything, the political polarization that's going on and the pandemic and winter coming on. I mean, it's just, you, you think, you know, if you're in your head, you're like, oh man, this is horrible. Well, if you think it's horrible, <laughs> then guess what? It's going to be horrible. So your whole point is to not really focus on that. And you have to keep your, and your team's mindset, you know, you have to give just, I mean, what I always did when, when things like, you know, every October, everybody's talking about October is a horrible month in the car business. <laughs> yep, of course. And you're sitting there going, really? Come on, the state fair. There's not that many people out there going to, uh, you know, whatever candy bar they're frying this month or, you know, <laughs> But it's it's you got to take their mind off of that, and you, and the mindset all goes down to how you are reacting, how you're communicating with your team, uh, and always everything has to be optimistic, you know. And and I hate you know I have said this a million times, and I've had I've had team members come back at me and just sit there and say, well, you know what, you know, David, I'm not optimistic, I'm realistic. I'm like, <laughs> you know, realistic these days is almost close to pessimistic because. Realistic is an opinion. That is only an opinion and opinion by itself. Yes, this is data. This has happened. I understand. This is what's going on around us. But if we succumb to this and you're calling this realistic, then we have just jumped on the tracks down the road. So we have to we have to think above everything that's going on. When people walk in, you don't, you know, you have to, I mean, whatever department in you, you can sell you in you know, service, finance, if you're mm-hmm. a guy picking up mm-hmm. the phone and computer chip and parts, you have to sit there and give off the vibe and feel that, you know, nothing is going on around us. And people are like, well, that's <laughs> lying to me. No, it's not. It's changing the atmosphere of what you would rather it to be. And if you want it to be negative, it's going to be negative. If you're worried about everything that's going on, then it's going to, it's slowly going to come out in the business end of it. But you, you know what, David, up, I feel like, you know, um, you're you're a hundred percent right. Like we, yeah. we have to stay optimistic, and we have and, and you know it's it's no different than us telling people that we need to lead by example. And, and, and for us, that's really what it is. We're talking about so you you have to. I, I I can listen to this podcast, I can watch this video, and I can shake my head up and down with us and go, yeah, you're right, you're hundred percent right. And I can walk back into my dealership tomorrow, and I can just I'll be optimistic, and you know I could probably even do it for a few days, right? and everything starts paying exactly so so you can see where my next question is it's like oh yeah how do, how do we maintain that that routine the consistency of the routine of staying optimistic you know to me it every i think everybody's different uh it's it's finding it's finding your niche of of how you keep your mindset you know uh me i found i found mine to be you know I read a lot. I read a whole lot of stuff, but that's a great one. I like that too. But I also, you know, some people pray. I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm spiritual. I pray. I meditate. But mm-hmm. at the same time, I also I focus. I focus myself on because I'm that guy. What you just explained. I'm, I'm human. I'm gonna do it. I, I go in. I think. You know what? This is. Let's let's take an example. You know, a, a variable. You know, example like finance. You know, I'm. Sure, We're really sure. focusing in on 
really, you know, our penetration on say, you know, this extended warranty that we really need to do and this and that and the profit, the profit, the profitability on it is a lot better. And, you know, say three days goes by and it's just, you know, no, I don't want that. No, I don't want that. No, I don't want that. Yep, well, yep. I mean, most of these guys that are sitting in the box, they know it. They've been on the floor, so they know what no means. You're going to get told no a million times, and but a lot of them let that get them. And next thing you know, when they're sitting in a meeting, the Monday or the Tuesday, whatever day of the week you have the meeting, but at that <laughs> meeting, most of them do have them every day. Uh, well, hey, what's going on with this? What's going on with that? And you're going to say, oh, nobody wants it. Oh, yeah, I can't, I can't push that. I can't push, you know, the, the, it's not there. The money's not right on the, on the, the package or you know, you know as well as what i'm talking about there's going to be a million excuses but you've already given given into that so no you're 100 right like there there it's so easy to create the excuses so it, it's super important and you kind of mentioned it earlier is you have to like staying optimistic is like working out right like there's a reason why we work out in the morning i mean i, I know there are people out there that like to work out at night and stuff like that but i think for the most of us and i need to do more of it you know <laughs> But, but, you know, it's like we work out in the morning because it sets the stage for our day, right? Like when I when I work out uh, in the morning, like I, I feel it. I feel better. You know, I, I haven't eaten when I've done it. So I just I, – I'm just like now I'm ready. I can grab that healthy meal and I just – I feel I feel a little more balanced throughout the day. <laughs> and, 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 and it's that morning routine, you know, both physically getting ready and then mentally getting ready. But we don't talk enough about – that morning mental routine to stay optimistic because I'm with you. I did the same thing. I had to, I had to find something that would ground me daily so that by the time I got to the dealership, like I'm like my, my tank of optimism was, was filled up again. So I could run through the rest of the day knowing it's going to deflate itself because it will. (laughs) We're human, right? You said it, right? We're human. It's going to deflate, you know, but then the next morning I had to, I had to fill that back up. You know, so I'm curious, like, what does that look like for you? How do you, what's that daily kind of optimism refill look like for you? Well, that's, that's where I, I have to sit there and I have to meditate about it. Uh, the times that I've driven and commuted several miles to work, it was obviously a good time to do that. And let's not talk about it. Yes, I was driving an automo- automobile, so it might have been dangerous, but <laughs> I never had a wreck. Knock on wood myself. But anyways, uh Mine was always really focusing on, you know, you, yeah, a lot of things that I did, I always did the Eisenhower, you know, quadrant. Uh, I would do it, you know, walk, write it down. And plus, I always, I've got a photographic memory, so I'd always consistently see what's ever in my quadrant and what I needed to, you know, what's to do right now and this and that. But at the same time, what needs to keep me motivated to do this, to do this job? and do it to the best of my abilities. Well, one, I was bred to do this. You know, I, that's, I was basically whipped into doing the, you know, <laughs> yeah, you were, you were born into it. You had no option. <laughs> and, but it goes back to, there's something that made him do it. And it's, it's not about failing or being a loser or anything like that. It's, it's just about doing the right thing. And, you know, when I, when I would get into say three or four day slump and it's like, man, you know, and, especially shops, man, you walk in there and you've got this big plan and everything's going well for two or three days, Mm -hmm. this new process you put in place. And then, you know, wrench gets thrown in it and it's going to happen. It's going to happen a hundred percent of the time. 
there's no such thing as a perfect process that happens overnight that you implement that just goes over as smooth as, you know, baby oil over skin. It just don't happen. So, you know, you sit there and you're like, oh man, and you know, you're thinking on the fly and you're doing this and you're losing track on this. And next thing you know, no, you're overwhelmed again. And you're, you're getting back to that, that inside, that, that pessimistic part of you. Oh man, I'm not going to be able to this, you know, projection and hit this number that I need to hit or get to this CSI score, do this. I've gotten popped too many times because, you know, this or that. But I mean, there's so many different things that you have to stop. You have to put yourself, I am the owner of this company. You're not, you're just the service director, you're the finance director, the sales director. You're well, just you know, a- you, you are and you aren't, right? Like I always do try to motivate people. Like I, I look at a exactly. dealership like a barber shop. Exactly. Like you're renting the chair. All right. What what you do with that chair is entirely up to you. Yes, a percentage of that gross profit is going to the house to cover expenses. But at the end of the day, it's you control your paycheck. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, There's something you mentioned. And I I just want to kind of really kind of harp on a little bit is, you know, as a manager, you kind of built with it or not. And I actually agree with you on this, right? Like, I mean, I'm thinking of some of the best managers, some of the worst managers I ever worked with, but some of the best managers that I've ever worked with or had the privilege of meeting or talking with or consulting with is that they just kind of had this, I think this this natural ability to take their own optimism and and to share with others, you know, just kind of like gifted on to another person. And, And I realized that, you know, I myself wasn't, natural that way like i can get myself optimistic and pumped but then having to go to work and then having to get the rest of my you know 12 other team members to get excited about the day i was just like god i just got mine okay let me own mine right and i feel like i'm a lot of managers are that way so like i actually had to i had to fill figure out a way to process all right my uh, my sharing of my optimism right Mm -hmm. and every single salesperson was slightly different so it was like either, you know, uh, sitting down and having a coffee with them may, may have been enough, right? Just mm-hmm. my time may have been enough, um, you know, um, publicly announcing their, you know, their wins and, and showing them appreciation. That was enough. The pat on the back was enough. But every single one was enough. But I, I had to I knew as a good as a good manager and all the good managers I ever felt is that I've ever seen or have dealt or ever dealt with is that they don't just fill up their own tank. They, they, they take that tank and, and they're going to help others to fill up theirs as well. Um, mm-hmm. I'm sure you've seen some amazing examples of this. You know, can you think of any off the top of your head that was just like people just crushed at this? I've had a, when I, when you say crush, you mean as in a positive way. Uh, yeah, they, cru- they, they just, they knocked it I, out of the park. Yeah. I've had a, a few good, uh, I guess you can say dealer operators, general managers, managing partners, only a couple. And I've been, I've met a few dealerships, but I've really, and it, they, they're the ones who prob who most, who lended the most and developed me. And it's been some years back, but cause my father, I'll tell you right now, he was a worry word. He was an op, the biggest pessimist I've ever, you know, met in my <laughs> life. And it's just, Oh man, I, I don't want to get on that. But anyways, uh, but no, I mean, it's exactly what you're talking about. They knew they've been in the business so long and they were, they were very, they were, I wouldn't say, I mean, I, I want to say they're born for this, but their intellect towards 
being around people and understanding, you know, people say not everybody's motivated by money. And then somebody will tell you that's, that's ridiculous. They are, everybody's motivated by money. Mm -hmm. That's, that's, there's a balance to that. And that's, you know, what I taught. And there's one in particular guy that taught me balance. And when I say balance, it's like, it's how you treat people. It's how you listen to people, how you, you know, relate to people, interact with them, everything. There's a balance. You know, you have, say, 18 technicians in your shop. There's 18 individual people that totally think on a different level. They're not just a bunch of dumb technicians. You have 20 people on your sales floor. You have 20 individual, you know, personalities that somebody relates to something differently. And you have to find that balance between everybody to where you can relate to each person on their own level. But at the same time, when you're making a decision as a whole, it's balanced amongst the group. And I thought it was the most complex and convoluted thing I'd ever heard in my life. And I worked for this individual for quite a while and it really started making sense. And it took me two years to figure out the science to what he was doing. <laughs> and, with, and I wouldn't even say it as a science. This guy, I mean, he's just, he was just an old car guy. I mean, I say an old car guy. Most people think of that with some guy with a, you know, cigarette hanging out of their mouth, talking like this, <laughs> go get to get the lock stretcher and all this stuff. But no, he wasn't anything like that. And uh, it's like, I would be having a bad day. I was in my mid to late twenties. It, it was right after I had as a few years after I, my dad had sold my left out and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. do my own thing and make my own name in the business. But uh, I would, I would have my negative days and he could see it. He could feel the energy coming off of me. And his way of getting through to me was telling me a dumb joke that obviously he knew I did not <laughs> think was funny and I would just look at him, but it took me out of my shell. And right when he would hit me with that, then he would start talking about something business related after he, he did his little dad joke and his chuckle. And, uh, but then we'd start talking and he got me enthusiastic, you know, something about, you know, what we were talking about in a meeting and then he, he would bring me back into, you know, me instead of, Oh man, I'm not going to hit this. I'm not going to hit that. He connected with you and as an individual he connected, he connected. But he could do that with anybody and everybody in it. And at first I thought it was just, you know, Oh, this guy's a con artist. This guy, he, <laughs> he must be digging through people's personal files and stalking them, social media accounts, something and just, knows everything but no this guy, this guy wasn't even up to this day he's not even on social media uh <laughs> he, i mean if he was on linkedin he he could kill it he'd crush it on linkedin just i you know his his leadership abilities and but he was i mean he was a really good mentor and to take and take the optimism and how to address it with other people and whether or and get other people to like you're saying, pass that along, pass that torch, you know, say it's like a candle, you know, you got one burning candle and a bunch of burnout mm-hmm, candles. Mm-hmm. How do you light the rest of those candles? It's basically asking that question. And it's not as easy as, this, oh, just tilt it over and, you know, light that wick. No, it's not like that. No, not at Every, all. I mean, you really has, have to get to know the individual. It, it really is. And right. I mean, within the reason of the, you know, expense of the business and, but most people, there's a, you know, and I'm not going to go into the generational breakdown here because <laughs> yeah, no, people get offended. Not there's some truth to it. There is some science, but there are people that need attaboys. There are people that need the good job and this and that. And there's some people that don't care. Mm-hmm, so they mm-hmm. say, 
But when you give them that recognition, even though they don't, you know, respond to it or anything or show you any kind of feedback that they really appreciated you giving them the the feedback you did or, you know, calling them in, picking them out to dinner one night, you know, just them, them and their wives or them and their husbands and, you know, something like that. They act that, you know, okay, you know, and they do it and it's no big deal, but and that, that really sinks into people. And when you, you know, I'm not saying you go to do that stuff and you start talking about work, but there's things. Well, you, you know, can talk it, about. it has to be authentic. It really does. See, that, that, that's the kicker. You know, it's like what, what we're talking about here. If, if if you're trying to improve another's optimism or mindset, like you need to come at it not selfishly. Do you know what I mean? Like, exactly. like you can't come at it going like, I need you to be optimistic right now, because if you're optimistic, you're going to sell me more cars. <laughs> like, uh, you can't take that approach. Like you have to come authentically and genuine and say, look, I, 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 I want you to be optimistic, but I want you to be optimistic, not because you're going to sell more cars. If you do it, it's because I want, I, I just, I want you to be the best you, you could possibly be. And you know, w- when you come off, that way boy do people open up and you're able to connect with them so much faster i can guarantee that that manager that you were talking about did exactly that either knowingly or unknowingly did it really really well well i'll, I'll tell you what helped me and, it, and this is what really it, it it kills me for people to find out outside of the automotive industry that your average manager or director of a department dealership whatever you better have some psychology skills because i 100 agree with you on that one luckily my wife my my current wife is uh we've been married almost 10 years love her to death but she's a psychology major and she has taught me so much about people i mean i I, and it probably significantly helped me out the books she turned me on to the philosophies the ideologies of you know just looking at people you know you know studying micro expressions on people's faces but that we can go down the rabbit hole with that but you know uh, it's the average manager in a car dealership. If you're not in tune with yourself, and you're not in tune with humans as a as a as a you know a, a functioning being, and all the different emotions that are inside of somebody, the different things that happen to people, if you're oblivious to that, you're not going to be a good manager. I don't care how much no, numbers you're, you're, you're you can put up, you're right. not going to be a good leader because. At the end of the day, you know, you, you've, you've heard a million pounds of people. I'm not in the car business. I'm in the people business. Yeah, I love those guys. <laughs> that. But anyways, they weren't they weren't very good people. People either. But uh, it's you have if you can relate to your team and you can build a team that, that coexists like one functioning operating unit like it should. And it it happens. It's it, it can happen to anybody. It's just it takes time and it takes work. It takes a lot of work. Well, but. I, and I think that's the key takeaway here is that, you know, I think there's a fair amount of people are watching, listening and agreeing with us. Uh, but we have to understand it, it's, it's, it's almost kind of going back to what we kind of first said in the beginning of where I said this is kind of like a workout, right? Yep. Like losing 20 pounds, like, you know what you got to do. <laughs> Doesn't make it easier. <laughs> and when you might do it for two days, but you got to keep on doing it every day. And when you stop, guess what's going to happen? It's going to come back. So. And, and I think it's so important right now for managers out there to really try to connect with their teams because there's just so much going on in the world. To your point you talked earlier, is you got the pandemic, you got the, the, the political climate. <laughs> I mean, you just – uh-huh. that look, 
I, I love that people say, well, that doesn't affect me. I'm like, I just call BS, you know, because it does, you know, either either knowingly or, or unknowingly, it's going to affect you in some way. And if it doesn't affect you, it's sure in the hell going to affect some of your customers, you know, and it's just it's consumer confident. I, I think right now, depending on where you are in the world, uh, can be at an all time low. And, you know, it, it, your employee confidence also can be the exact same way. And you know what, here's the one thing that I've seen with all the most successful dealerships I've ever visited and had a chance to work with, happy employees make for happy, confident customers. But the employee needs to be happy and confident first. Like, you know, I, it, that sounds weird. I'm always saying, like, you gotta put the customer first. You gotta put the customer at the center of everything. Well, that's true. But if your team is not confident, then you gotta step back for a moment. You gotta put your team first before, before uh, uh, before your customers, thoughts on that? A hundred percent. Every time, if you if you lift your team up and you treat them as you know, well, like they like need to be treated, you know. And I'm not going to go out and just say you need to compensate them at the top, but but if you care for your team as much as you think about that bottom line. You're, you'd, you're not even going to have to ever worry about a bottom line. You know, it's That's just so going to grow and grow and grow because everybody is using that, you know, that method, method of, you know, backing their way into a profit, saving their way to a profit. At the end of the day, you're in a business. You have to invest in your business. And your biggest, your biggest investment needs to be your people. Bottom line. And, and that, you know that, what? I, I think this, you know, I hate to call out silver linings, during this pandemic, but I actually think that there is a, a little bit of a silver lining there. I, and I think you've probably seen this and I've seen this too, is that you really got to see over the last five, five months or so, uh, or six months or so, um, who are the, the really good operators and who aren't, yep. you know, I mean, I talked to a lot of, a lot of staff that were furloughed or laid off, you know, during whatever state, you know, or province, you know, closure that they had. And I found out that some of them had uh, um, continuous communications with their owners and their leaders. And then I had some that like, I, I haven't heard from my dealership in four and a half months. And I'm just like, what? What the hell kind of leader is like, like a little, we've, we, we laid you off and you haven't heard anything from them in four and a half months. It's crazy. But, you know, I, I, there was kind of going into my next subject. It's that confidence. We were kind of talking about that earlier. And it's like, it's not just the confidence in our staff, but it's confidence in our consumers as well. It, it's it, this is a different time for consumers and for salespeople. It's a different time to buy a car, let let alone sell a car. In fact, speaking of buying a car, you wrote an article recently <laughs> where you actually talked about buying a car during the pandemic, and I think you had some really interesting perspective that I think could help just kind of the the overall conversation that we're having now and just really kind of drive home the importance of keeping yourself and your team optimistic. Kind of walk me through, you know, what happened and how to go down. Well, I mean, obviously during a pandemic where you're going to have some issues, uh, what is what what did we see around the, you know, especially the U.S. And I mean, obviously it's a global pandemic. Mm -hmm. It's not mm -hmm. just the the, the China virus or whatever in the U.S. But, uh, I mean, there's a lot of people that just, they went without jobs. They were compensated through the government, but there was obviously issues. Uh, there, there are a lot of lenders were being very generous on extent, extensions and stuff like that. I've talked to a lot of friends uh, that were going through problems 
they called me up and back when it first started i want to say it's really weird because it seems like the country shut down on my birthday around the first of march and i was just like <laughs> what what did i do wrong but uh so i had some friends i would say called me up about april april may june and they you know they'd gotten stensions on their vehicles and they're you know a lot of these a lot of my friends and where i'm from and part of country in texas i'm from there are a lot of oil people when i say oil mm -hmm. workers they uh, they work out on the the oil wells and barracks and stuff like that in the Oklahoma area out in West Texas. And these guys make a lot of money, but they work mm -hmm. a lot. They're like, you know, four weeks on two off four weeks on. Well, they no longer are out there making that and they're getting, you know, not as much money from the government uh, for their, the furlough money. And they're getting a small furlough money from the oil companies, which is very a fraction of their, so I'm not just putting this about me, but I this is coming from other people I've known about. No, no, the, you, the and, story uh, is very uh, similar to a, a lot of people's stories, right? Yeah, now. and well, they're calling me. It's like, Dave, what do I do? You're in the car business, and blah blah blah, and this is what's happening. And, and these old guys are just like car guys. I mean, there's every car, every dealership I've worked in is just like you know, you you have these car guys who go. You have a salesman who's three, four months in the business, and you know, finally starting to make, you know, nine pounds, 10 grand a month, something like that, you know, and they're like, they go and buy the biggest, baddest thing they can get, you know, oh, yeah, that's it. Happens. It's our it's guy disease. I mean, I've, I've done it, you know, and uh, my buddies in the oil business, they got these big diesel trucks, you know, 80, $90,000 diesel trucks decked out with everything you can put on them. And now they're not making that money. Well, we need mm -hmm. to get out of our truck, you know, and I wasn't even to get out of my vehicles. And it's just not good. I mean, first of all, the depreciation, and we were kind of talking about, you know, how hot, hot cars are right now. But at the same time, the depreciated value of what, you know, we had was so significant. No lender is going to touch you unless you're putting pretty much, you know, all, you know, 70% of your negative equity down. And that's just, mm -hmm, that's mm -hmm. crazy. And the, you know, like me personally, I'm sitting there looking at vehicles that I bought because I, in my, and what I've done is I've mostly had demos. And then when I would leave a dealership, I didn't have a car. I didn't have a demo lined up yet. And I would just buy the vehicle I had. And that's typically what I did. And that's how I kind of ended up with some vehicles. So either way, uh, when I went in to try to trade my vehicles, it's like, you know, they're telling me, oh, yeah, you know, your credit's not that great. I know this. I, I understand this. You know, people are like, oh, you're talking about your credit. It's like, I'm vulnerable. I don't care. It's, it is what it is. Yeah, I know. No, no, it, it, it's, it's a real thing. I mean, there's, it's a billion dollar industry of people be having bad credit, you know, and there's people on the other end making money off of it. And uh, either way, I go into these dealerships and I'm sitting there, and you telling me a lender can see that I have this much money tied up in vehicles per month. And I'm trying to get rid of them. And now I'm only wanting to buy this. So I'm, I'm taking it down. So not putting a real number out there. I almost had $3,000 with a month worth of just two vehicles. And I mean, they were very expensive vehicles. But mm -hmm. I'm looking at something where you're placing that with maybe seven dollars $800 a month in payments. Sure, which I think a lot of people out there are thinking the same. That's cutting less. I mean, that's, that's huge. But lenders are like, oh no, man, that's just you know. And it's like, if I start, I start talking to you know, 
it's the car business. You know everybody. And I even talked to friends I had at the banks, you know, that were like, you know, regional presidents of these, some of these uh, auto, big auto lenders. And they're like, oh, man, you know, we can't the underwriters to really budge on anything right now and you know, this and that. And I was like, just tell me, y'all are in a bubble right now, are you not? And one of them, you know, one of them kind of choked up and he said, yes, not choked up, I cried, but just kind of told me the truth and said, yes. He goes, to be honest with you, we started reserving this much back in March just to offset everything that we're probably going to lose uh, come when, when we're not, when we're allowed to repossess cars again, because right now, there's a lot well, of lenders. You know what, that's now. totally true, right? I mean, really, look, yes. the reality is we're only still dealing with the social economics of this. We actually exactly. haven't dealt with the actual economics of it. We've insulated it's ourselves come. into a bubble. Mm-hmm. And there's this kind of false sense of security. Um, but, you know, both of us have been in the automotive business long enough to understand yes. that, you know, when you're when, <laughs> when when you live and die on commission... <laughs> Right. Like it, you got your ups and downs. Right. And uh-huh. we're he- we're heading towards a down for sure. Tar- oh, sorry, go ahead. Continue. And, I, you know, and I see that. But I mean, that's what he said. He, he basically said, you know, I, we've 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 floated all this money and there's people out there and it comes, you know, I feel and he feels it comes down to people living beyond their needs. I mean, when I had those three thousand dollar cars, when I was at a car dealership uh, making, you know, almost 200,000 a year, you know, that's 3,000 a month. It was still ridiculous, but it just, it was easier to swallow. And that typical car, I was going to drive, I was going to drive whatever brand I, I pretty much represented. I had to, and I go to, I've, I've often dealerships where I walk into a Subaru dealership and the, sales director and fixed ops directors, they're all driving an older model GM or Ford or an older <laughs> Beamer or something like that. And it's like, oh, it's like that was tasteless. Cause you know, well, if they have demos, they obviously drive, but if they have a lot of dealers that don't do demos. So uh, it just depends on where you go. But I was always that guy I had to drive what I was doing because if somebody came to me with a problem and, or an issue or a situation or confronted me, say if I was working for a dealership. And I never have, but uh, <laughs> I wouldn't want to know what I'm talking about when I'm talking about a Fiat. I don't like not knowing what I'm doing. Well, and you, you know what? I, there, I think there's a lot of salespeople out there that are dealing with customers that have very, very similar stories to what you're yeah. going through right now. Um, you know, and and I think as an industry, I don't think we're necessarily preparing our salespeople to to, to handle these types of of, of situations and. So I, oh, I'm curious not, for someone who actually no, went through not. it yourself. I mean, you you clearly don't feel like you got handled well, you know, oh, going no. through this. You know, what advice would you give, you know, a salesperson out there or a manager out there that's listening to this and going, man, I got a customer right now with the, pretty much the exact same story, and I'm just not 100 percent sure how to handle it. What what kind of advice would you give that person? First of all, you you have to train your salesperson. You know, it's beyond work track. It's it's you have to train your salesperson to understand the situation of what's going on, and they have to know how finance work. Because most salespeople, they're like, "Oh man, that dude, he's you know, that dude's a, a credit bandit." You know, he he, he he can't buy anything, and you know, they're genuinely nice to you, but they really don't explain anything besides we can't get anything done. 
And, you know, to me, a lot of that comes along the lines of having, you know, a TO from a finance person. Most, there's a lot of people who, who would rather hear from the person that's dealing directly with the banks, which these days it depends on dealer to dealer because sometimes it's a sales manager's keying up the whole deal in the, in the tower and communicating with the bank. And he's just sending, you know, he's sending the packet back to the, the mm-hmm. producer, the director or whatever. Uh, but as a salesperson, you, you have to have empathy for what's going on and understand. And are you, are you getting the, the deal structured correctly? Because I've seen some magical things happen inside of a car dealership through traditional lending with, credit scores that you know would just blow your mind mm-hmm, like low mm-hmm. no i hear you i hear you <laughs> uh and if, if it makes sense and the deal is structured right but and that's what one thing tells people have to know are we structuring the deal right is your you know and with the constant turn of sales people you might teach you might have that one good salesperson that's like that but you know, I can go into another subject here and branch off really far, but that's usually where that <laughs> one person that really gets it really good at good at explaining this. But he becomes a sales manager in the next two months, and then four months later, he's running a dealership. What? Well, there we go. But that's the end of that story. But uh, <laughs> that's generally how that goes. But you you have to consistently train everybody every day about what's going on. You know how what you're going to have coming into your showroom. And when I say that, what? Credit situations, oh, man, financial situations. David, you're, you're, so, you're so right. I mean, it's it's it, it's we don't spend enough time training our managers on how to engage with their own staff. Nope. Um, you know, and we're not spending enough time. Like, look, the game's changed. I mm-hmm. mean, we're, we're, look, our customers are coming in with concerns that. Well, frankly, they've never had these concerns before. And, yep. you know, but I, I think it's you're 100% right. Like, I think for a dealership to be prepared, you know, to handle, you know, to, not, I don't want to use the word handle because it sounds negative, like you own control, but to be, um, I guess, empathetic and compassionate and be able to actually sit down and work side by side with the customer that that's had a similar situation like you have. I mean, you, you got to train it. Like, this is not just like, here, here, here's a word script. Because <laughs> yeah. you know our industry, like we love our scripts, so we'll just we'll just give oh, them a script. That's what we'll do. We'll just give them a script, and then that's if they run ever run into the situation, they default back to the script. But no, you you were mentioning kind of earlier. I mean, it's like you know to 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 be empathetic, to to connect with someone. Like you really got to understand how to do that because it, it for some people it's very natural, and for other people that it's not. Like David, I I know we're getting towards the tail end of our time, you know, today, and I, oh, man, this is definitely a topic and a subject. I'm really passionate about and you are too we probably go on for another hour if we have but um but before we do that though um i uh, like anybody out there watching and listening yeah you need to connect with david uh i love his articles he's got some great you know his perspective is just absolutely amazing you got you got to check you got to check him out but uh david for anybody out there that's watching and listening right now and would love to connect with you and just kind of follow along you know with your journey what's the best way to do so uh, I mean, connecting with me on LinkedIn is probably the easiest way to connect with me. I'm usually on there every day. Uh, it's typically that a lot of my uh, peers are on there, so I'm, I'm constantly relating to them. But, I mean, uh, LinkedIn is probably the best way to connect up with me. Uh, drop me a line on LinkedIn, a DM, uh, and go from there. That's perfect. And just so you guys know, it's David Allen Wood. All right, yes. don't put David Wood um, in there. I did it a couple times. It doesn't come up. Um, 
use David Allen Wood. Uh, <laughs> actually, I think it's uh, www.linkedin forward slash David Allen Wood. I think it is too. I think it is too. Hey, David, uh, thank you so much for taking the time to jam with me today. This has Appreciate been a it. blast. Um, you, you have yourself an amazing day. You too, Jason. Have a good one, sir. Thanks. Thanks for tuning in to the Strategy Mob Podcast with your host, Jason Harris. Don't want to miss new content? Be sure to sign up to be a mobster at strategymob.com to stay in the know. Remember to like, comment, and subscribe.